0: Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Hope you guys are ready to uh, open the Bible and uh, get to work. Ephesians 1 is where we're at, so you should be opening up to Ephesians 1. If you don't have sermon notes, uh, they would be good to have. Let me put you at ease a little bit uh, this morning. Some of you um, who follow along with sermon notes um, get a little bit uh, uh, task overload if you're trying to write and listen at the same time. Uh, Let me just say this morning, uh, there's, I think there's three whole fill-ins, and I'll give them to you at the end if you want. So what I want you to do is listen. I wrote a bunch of things out in your notes this morning, uh, kind of on purpose for you to just have it and, uh, and make sure that you got it. Um, the last song that we just sang, we, we, we picked quite intentionally, by the way, what songs we're singing uh, with what passages that we're in. And um, the last song that we just sang is it's just such a powerful song to me. I stood at the ocean shore yesterday. I was at the beach. And um, to just think about God and what we know of God and how really as deep as we could go, as deep as we could swim, there's an ocean more of God to know. Amen. And that's the God who we were just singing to. That's the God that we're that we're going to look at in the scriptures here as he's revealed himself and get to know. Uh, And that's why we take the Bible so seriously. That's why we want to go through the Bible and say, Lord, we want to know you better. We want to grow in these things. I want you to look at the screen for a second. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had your brain hurt? Ever had your brain hurt? I'm not talking about a headache here, okay? I'm talking about your brain hurting. Let me throw out a few things in relation to God. As you get to know God, your brain ought to feel just like this guy periodically. All right? You ought to just go, ouch, stop, Lord. I can't handle this anymore. And you need to kind of pull back and take a walk, take a breather. Uh. Let me just throw out a couple of things that, that we know that are true from the Scripture. The Bible that we are going to look at this morning, the Bible is the work of human authors and yet the very words of God. That ought to make your brain start to hurt a little bit. Jesus Christ, fully man and fully God. That to make your brain stream. God is huge and unknowable, like we just sang about this ocean God that we barely get to know. And yet he's intimate and knowable Two seemingly contradictory truths that reside quite peacefully side by side in the scriptures. Here's another one. The Christian life is lived in total commitment and discipline of self. And yet salvation is all of Christ. There's nothing you could do to earn it. Last one we'll look at. We are to grow in righteousness and pursue holiness, and yet we are pure before God right now because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Those things ought to make your brain hurt. As you're reading through scriptures, you ought to be reading and say, that seems to be what it's saying, but I thought it's saying this over here as well. And sometimes there are truths that just stretch us. Let me just say this, that I believe hard passages and concepts, remember, they're inspired by God. Now, these are in your notes. They don't need to write anything down. But here's what I think they at least start to do. Here's just a couple observations. One is that they reveal the complexity of God. God has a very simple message. Whether you can read or write, whether you're a king or a pauper, you can understand the gospel. Isn't that amazing? All through time, that's been totally true. This simple message that children can understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet the brainiest guys that have ever lived in all of history have spent their entire lives with their nose in a book and they haven't come to the depths of God. God is a complex God. You ought to be thankful that you can't reach the outer limits of God. Because if you can reach the outer limits of God, chances are, not chances are, He is an idol made in your own image. God is complex. When you get ideas in scriptures that you go, Oh, it makes my brain hurt. Don't run to the aspirin. Start to realize maybe God's revealing something here that he's bigger than I can even comprehend. Now, let me say a quick word of caution before we head into this topic that we're looking at today. This is not uh, an excuse, a free pass for you to say, yeah, God's just too hard to know. So I don't really study that hard. I sure hope someone's studying somewhere. I hope these commentary guys and Bible translators know what they're talking about because I'm taking them for it, uh, you know, word for word. But yeah, I just I don't really get too much into that because he's too hard to understand. Not a free pass. God has called us heart, mind, soul, strength to follow him in everything that we are. So obey that. Here's the second thing that it reveals. It reveals the divine nature of the Bible. Think about this for a second. You're you're a Bible writer and you're inspired to write something. You're writing it down and you see two truths that seem to be incompatible. You would try to fix that in your humanness to save God's name. Human editors would try to fix those things. I look at the scriptures, I say it's it's actually evidence of a divine inspiration that over this unbelievably large span of time, unbelievably diverse group of authors, that the Holy Spirit has put together these truths whose central theme is the redemption in Jesus Christ for mankind. And human authors would try to have kind of synthesized things a little bit more. Here's what else it stimulates a few things. It stimulates humility. Humility. We just sang a song, Hungry. I hope you're hungry for God. As you study the Bible, realize that it is, not, uh, by, it is not natural flesh that discerns spiritual things. So every time that you open your Bible, even for just a morning quiet time, can I get someone to get me a, a bottle of water? I have the driest throat right now. Thank you. Thanks, Les. Les us get in the back. Um, not in my notes, just a, real, a reality that I'm, I'm dealing with. Um, so you're, you're going to open your Bible. You're going to have family devotions. You're going to have your personal quiet time. You know, it's a great exercise just to read. Say, God, what I'm about to do is a spiritual exercise. I need spiritual eyes to see it. Would you reveal these truths to me? We ought to have humility in coming to the Scriptures. The song we just sang hungry talks about the word I'm desperate for you. Difficult passages remind you of your dependence on God to understand truths. Finally, it should stimulate discipline and pursuit it says it's the glory of kings to pursue a matter. Thanks, Les. And I hope that difficult passages and difficult concepts. I hope they trouble you in a way, but I hope you don't run from them. I hope they frustrate you, but I hope it doesn't give you to cause cause you to give up trying to ever understand God. Uh, let me put it in this context for those of you who are married. Your wife and your husband will perplex you at times. Amen. Amen. A hearty amen. They will frustrate you at times. Amen to that as well. However, the pursuit, right? The relationship. You keep going after them and you keep growing in your knowledge of them. I hope when your spouse says something, a like or a dislike, a frustration of theirs, I hope that you file that away and you get to know that and you understand that. Our walk with God, our our striving after God is going to be a lifelong pursuit. My constant prayer is, God, I pray that this coming year I'm more in love with you and I'm more knowledgeable about you than I ever have been in all of my life. And I've been through seasons of life where I say, I ought to be so much in love with God right here. Why am I stagnant? And I was more fired up about Jesus back in college than I am right now. Lord, I want you to change that. And I get I get dependent. I get reminded of my dependence on him. Here's where we're going this morning on the cover of your bulletin this morning. It just says love by choice. We're going to talk about a few things this morning. One is the idea of predestination. It's also called the doctrine of election. Election. This is a massively important doctrine to understand. And if you want to pick a fight, even if you don't know you're trying to pick a fight, go walk into any Bible college, Christian college at their lunchtime uh, on Monday and walk in and throw out the term predestination. And I promise you... (laughs) Like, people will just gather around and want to discuss and, and, and talk about things and this and that. If you don't know where a Christian college is, just blog about it on some public forum. You'll just have a, a heyday going about this. This is one of those things that, that just through the ages has kind of stirred up controversy and stirred up debate. Secondly, how does God's choosing us which we're going to see in verse 4 of chapter 1, which is sometimes referred to as divine sovereignty. So you have a divine sovereignty. And how does that and our belief or deciding come and follow me? Human responsibility. How do those relate to each other? And how do those play out in our salvation? Thirdly, we're going to look at the gift of God defining the relationship for us. The old DTR talk that sometimes people have as they're starting to date, starting to wonder where this whole thing's going. God has defined our relationship for us. And what I want to show you this morning is it's a massive gift to be shown by God where this relationship started, where it is right now, and where it's heading. It takes a lot of pressure off. It's important to look at things from God's point of view. And one of the problems that I think uh, underlies this whole debate is that, is that um, we are, in some ways... We struggle to ever outgrow kindergarten In kindergarten. It's totally appropriate to view the world through me and my lens. If you're doing something around the corner from my sight, it's not even happening. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't compute. It's not in my world. But if it's right in front of me and it relates to me, then let's talk about it. It has relevance and let's discuss it. The problem is when we approach God in that way from, let's say, a man centered point of view, we run into massive problems. Because we reach these limitations that we talked about. If this building represented our capacity, there's a whole world out there that exists. But we can't get there because we can only live within kind of the realm of our four walls. So as we start off this morning, here's what I thought I'd do. I thought I'd take us back to Genesis 1. Just for effect, turn to Genesis 1 right now. Turn all the way back to the beginning. I'm going to take us from Genesis 1 up until today. So get comfortable. Um, What I would like to show you is not a man-centered point of view from Genesis 1 until today. I want to kind of pull back in time and I want to show you this broad brushstroke of what God is doing in his redemptive history in the Bible. Okay? Okay? And you're gonna to have to kind of hang with me, but we'll we'll get through it. What I want to propose to you is this: that all through the scriptures, there's this idea of covenant love relationships that God enters into with different people throughout time. Uh, I'm going to kind of uh, walk around and, and show you a couple of things. Uh, first of all, anyone know what kind of leaf this is? We're in Genesis one. Yeah, fig leaf. I cut this from my house this morning. Uh, my kids were questioning what I was doing. They're going to get to find out right now. But um, I would like to ask a question of, uh, of David right here, sipping his hot chocolate. It looks pretty good, buddy. Um, David, this might be a little bit embarrassing, but how would you like to wear this to church tomorrow? I mean, next week? No? You sh- shake your head no. That's a good, that's a great answer. Yeah. Give it up for David right now. Um who, who do you think I'm talking about? We're, we're, we're turned to Genesis 1 right now. This is a freebie, kind of an easy one. Who am I talking about in the covenant love relationship that God enters into when I'm holding up a fig leaf? Work with me. Current. Adam and Eve. Okay. Let's stick with Adam right now because that's, uh, that's the, the, the person we're going to talk about. Um, God enters into a relationship with Adam in that he creates him, right? And he gives him certain parameters. And early on, what we see in Adam and Eve are failure. Who does God hold responsible for it? Adam. Right? What do they do with the fig leaf? They cover themselves up. Right? Uh, my wife pointed out one time, we were reading in the scriptures. She goes, what a lousy leaf to pick from. <laughs> you know, we've cut these things from our backyard. That, milk, that milky stuff gets on your skin and it itches. Bad choice. I think that was just, you know, humor that uh, God allowed them to, to pick a fig leaf. <laughs> But let me point out, it wasn't because of Adam's just amazing track record here that God enters in. But God chose to love on Adam. Uh, Let me move over to this. Um, Who do you think I'm talking about when we talk about a a love relationship with Skittles? Anyone, Anyone get that? Yeah, Jonathan. Why Noah? The rainbow. The rainbow of flavor in Skittles. Nice catch. The rainbow of flavor in Skittles. Here's the point. God chose Noah. God made a covenant with Noah. God gave parameters with Noah. God gave a sign with Noah. He entered into a covenant love relationship with Noah. What do he do as soon as he gets out of the boat? He grows some things. He takes from the fruit of it. He blows it. He's not, he's not this guy with a perfect track record that God says, I'll pick Noah. It was sheer grace with Noah. How many of you know what a Jewish person would call this right here? Huh? Shofar. Who got that? Very good. Uh, this is called a shofar. We might call it a ram's horn. Okay. It fits up here somewhere. People blow on it. Um, who do you think I'm talking about right now? Nope. Abraham, Abraham Abraham's who I'm talking about. Here's why Abraham. He was called Abram, right? God chose Abram. He enters into a love relationship with him and he gives him the name Abraham. He's going to be the father of many nations. He's really the start where God says, I'm going to build a nation out of you. I'm going to give you this promised son. It's going to be a miracle. He will be the chosen one. By the way, near the end, I want you to climb this mountain. I want you to offer him to me. I want you to kill your son. Abraham obeys. He follows this one who has called him, who has initiated a relationship with him, who chose him for whatever reason to be the father of nations, such that his descendants would be like the sand of the seashore. And he obeys. And we know the story. As soon as his, his, his uh, knife is in the air, he stops him. And caught in the thicket is this ram. A provision for the blood sacrifice that God was requiring. Kind of a foreshadow if we look at it right to Christ. But there's no ram for God's son this time. There's no other substitute that will do. No one comes into ninth hour and rescues Christ. But he does that for Abraham. And he chose Abraham not because of of his might. And we see all through the nation of Israel. It's not by their might, but because God decided to choose them in his mercy. Um. Isaac needs a wife. He seeks the Lord on it. God chooses a wife for Isaac. He chooses a woman named Rebecca. Rebecca, I didn't even give you this one because I don't know that how many would have gotten it. But Rebecca received not an earring, but a nose ring. How would you like that, ladies? Here's a nose ring, I propose. Uh, that's how they did it. And there were some bracelets involved and some other things as well. But they saw this. As election from God, she was chosen by God. She gives birth to twins that keeps the line going with Jacob. God chose Rebecca. God orchestrated the choosing of Rebecca and loved her. Um, How many know what kind of bush this is right here? Anyone? If you know, come look at it closely because it grows in my backyard and I don't have a clue. Let me help you out. Let's pretend this is on fire. Who am I talking about? Moses. Right. All right. So uh, if this thing's on fire, I'm kind of freaking out because it's not burning up. There's not a lot to it. If it starts talking to me, I'm paying attention. Right. We're tracking with that. Um, Moses is actually out in the desert and, and he's kind of running. He's actually off in no man's lands. He's in just kind of the middle lands right now with his life. God looks down at Moses and he starts to talk to him. And Moses, after being given this 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 calling, saying, you're going to lead my people out of slavery. Do you guys remember his response? His response, in essence, was a song we sang a couple weeks ago. Who am I? Basically says, Lord, you got the wrong guy. Who am I? He understood that from a human standpoint, he was a lousy leader. God had other Visions for him, other pictures for him. In his human capacity, this building, he says, "God, you got the wrong guy." Pretty audacious to be talking to God, who's showing you this miraculous sign of talking through a burning bush. But that's where he went with it. God was sure in His choosing, entered into a love relationship, covenant relationship with Moses, and continued blessing. Um, if I if I get over here and hold the guitar, point to that guitar. Uh, who do you think I'm talking about? We're, we're fast forwarding. Who? David. The guy rocked out. Okay. Now it was in his day, so it sounded a little bit different. But he's jamming on the harp. He's jamming on stringed instruments. He loves the cymbals. Uh, he wrote all kinds of music. You know what God did when He chose David? He intentionally went outside, completely outside the realm of what everyone thought was humanly reasonable. Dad didn't even bring him in as one of the possible choices. He's like, surely it's not David. So let's just cut to the chase and get through. Which one of my sons is it? It's not any of these. I'm going to sit down and wait until you bring the right one. God chose to love David. Did David choose to be king? Yes or no? No. God chose it. Let me move on. Um, I hold in my hand here the communion elements. We're obviously talking about Christ right now. And as you look at Christ... And you look at the body and the blood that we see all through the scriptures. Go read the Gospels looking for this. That God had a preordained plan of why his son came. He allowed Jesus to go through his life and live his life and do things. And periodically, Jesus is just dropping hints to those of his contemporaries saying, this is happening so that this will be fulfilled. Ultimately, God allows Jesus to die. You want to look at this theologically. We looked at this, I think, at Easter time. Who really put Jesus to death? It wasn't don't take your anger out anywhere else. It was God who allowed to do it. Right. In fact, he predestined things to occur and he orchestrated this in such a way that Christ died. Really, the hand of his father for payment for us. Now, you could look at all of this and say, that's all Old Testament. God did crazy things back then. That's not true now. Uh, let's just move on beyond Jesus. Almost done. We're in the New Testament now. Uh, I promise you, Peter didn't have a fishing pole quite like this. But some disciples were just working stiffs. They're just trying to make a buck, right? They're just out working. And Jesus comes along and says, I choose you. You come and follow me. What they did was they left. they left their... Barbie fishing pole. No, they left their net and they went and followed him. Jesus choosing out for himself twelve that would come and follow. We could move on beyond the, the disciples. Think about your calling for a minute. Now, with with all of this history, okay, leading up to. Pastor Paul writing a letter to Ephesians. Remember, he's not trying to undo certain heresies here. He's trying to give them just a gift. Ephesians is this pretty miraculous book for us. Well, they're all miraculous if you think about it. But Ephesians is such a gift. Let me read for you our passage today. And I want you to read it with all of that covenant relationship uh, in mind as we go to read this. And I want you to think of how the people in Ephesus would have... Thought about this. Actually, before we read. um, This is in your notes. How did any of the people that we just mentioned come into a loving covenant relationship with God? God chose them. Church, how did we come into a loving covenant relationship with God? God chose us. Second question, what was God's choosing based on? Merit or grace? Grace. Every time, grace. What is God's choosing of a church for himself based on? Grace. Third question, who is glorified by your salvation, by Moses' choosing, by Abraham being the father of nations? Abraham, the hero of the story, or Almighty God? Almighty God, every single time. Do they get to have just a little bit? No. Honestly, God is working through them. Does he use human authors to write? Absolutely, he does. But God gets the credit. God gets the glory. Were it limited to their ability, it would be the size of this room and it wouldn't have transformed your life and mine. Now, let me read Ephesians chapter 1, one to 1-6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, right now, as we open your word, as we look to it, we already acknowledge that this is a difficult passage. But we praise you, God, that it reveals a God beyond our understanding. We ask, Lord, right now for a humility and a desperation and a discipline to understand, to figure out what you have for us here. Why you would leave us with passages inspired by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The whole idea of the doctrine of election really centers on two things: choice and uh, initiation. Choice by both humans and and uh, and God are seen in Scripture, and so that that's where the rub lies: is that there there appears to be these two kinds of truths. I left in you a direct quote from one of the um, word studies that I did here on the word "chose." So that we could see that it's in this this aortist tent tense and the whole bottom line of it is this, that it signifies that not only is it God who chose, but he chose it for himself. We'll get in a second as to why he chose people for adoption, but chosen slash election language runs through the entire Bible. We've already walked through a certain level of the scriptures just by showing you a few items that I hope kind of jog your memory. But God, the father, starting in the Garden of Eden and working all the way through, uses chosen election kinds of language. Read the Bible sometimes. I've been I've been immersed in this for about a month and a half. So my quiet times are taking me through various portions of scripture. And God is just popping these things out to me that I've never really seen before because I haven't looked so focused on it. Chosen election language is all through it. God in Jesus uses chosen election language all through his time here on earth. I was reading through John 13 and in John 13, it's one of those passages we're going to look at a second in John 6, but where it kind of shows this tension. It shows the tension because it talks about the fact uh, that, that he says, I'm not talking to all of you. This is the Last Supper. I'm not talking to all of you. Not all of you are clean. There's one of you who's going to betray me. He was chosen to be part of the disciples, but he wasn't one of the elect. And there it is right in John 13, where Jesus is using this chosen elect language. And yet, then he hands off this idea that he says um, that all those. Who receive those whom I send, his disciples, receive me and the one who sent me, which is God. And I thought, boy, there's the tension that we see in Scripture right there in John 13, just in my quiet time this week. God chose and elect and predestined. And yet this this usherance of a call that says cast the seed wildly. All who come can be saved. Paul and other New Testament writers under the inspiration of God, the spirit, use chosen and election language shown quite clearly here in Ephesians chapter one. So God, the father, God, the son, Jesus and God, the spirit, all are in unity in this idea of election and choosing. Let me give you kind of a, uh, a base synopsis of this out of grace and in divine sovereignty. God chose each one to belong to him, whoever he, he would choose. It is not because we were more worthy than anyone else or more deserving, but simply because God chooses. Two truths seem to, to reside side by side in Scripture. They're, they're, they're an apparent contradiction at times, and they're very hard for us to sync up in our limited brain power. I want you to turn to John 6 for a second. We'll be back in Ephesians in a second. But look at John 6. Here's a place Where these two kind of sit side by side. John six, starting in verse thirty seven. Some of you don't even know there's an argument going on. You're the one at the family party where there's discussion. You don't even really know there's an argument and you make some comment and both sides look at you and go, huh? Uh, There's there's an issue here. And let me just let me just throw out to you that I want you to think biblically and I want you to think Critically. I don't want you to go find a position and I want you to, to to bolster that. I want you to be open to what the scriptures teach and what the scriptures say. John six thirty seven. Let me show you where some of these tensions uh, run together. Starting in verse thirty seven. All that the father gives me. Will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That one sentence seems to be a contradiction a little bit. Verse thirty eight, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There is a will in play here. God has a purpose and a will for mankind. We just walked through a lot of years of history with some articles up here from the front. It's continuing in Christ and now to today. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me. Past tense but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Do you see that how in these few verses you could lift one verse out verse out and build a whole case to it? If you're of the side that says, I want to chuck all predestination because I don't like where that leads with my logic, then you could key in on verse 40. Jesus said everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. If you're ever the camp that says that uh, that humans have no responsibility, there's nothing involved with humans at all. You could camp out on some of the verses up ahead and say it's all predetermined and become deterministic or maybe fatalistic in your in your thinking. And there are camps of people who live their life on both of those things. And what they're doing is rejecting massive swathes of scripture. We've already read Ephesians one. Turn back over to Ephesians one and look down at verse 11. We're not quite there yet, but we'll be there in a couple weeks. But in Ephesians 1, we have this continuing picture of what God's doing. By the way, God's giving us two massive stamps of affirmation. This one we're looking at today is this, this idea that you are adopted, you're chosen to be part of my family and you have equal rights as as any other in the family. And so we walk out of here as those who are found in Christ and say, I'm adopted by God, I'm no longer orphaned. That's a massive affirmation that we give that we get from God. Verse 11 that we'll get to in a little bit is this inheritance that's coming. This future reality of where this relationship is heading. Look at verse 11 in him. talking about Christ. We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will predestined purpose and his will. You see these big, powerful words that are being used. God has a plan, and He's working it. Here are some human response verses that I want to point you to, just to kind of get you started on um, some of the things that you will see that are that are somewhat intention. Romans ten nine. Many of you have heard this verse. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead what you will be saved you take out Ephesians 1 from this verse it becomes some kind of a cheap cheap magic trick formula i gave some lip service i believe in my heart where's the magic give it to me god i guess i'm saved There's some people who were going around like charlatans, drawing for decisions, drawing for numbers that said, I had this many decisions. Well, there were a lot of decisions to follow Christ, weren't there? As long as he was dishing out free food, as long as he was saying things that were kind of tickling their ears. What we see in the scriptures is there's this line in the sand drawn periodically by Christ himself to kind of weed out some of these quote unquote decisions. Some tension here. Let me let me read from you uh, one chapter before that. Romans nine. Romans nine says this. When Rebecca had conceived children by one man. This is the same Rebecca we talked about. Our forefather, Isaac. That's her husband. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad. Catch this. Paul's reasoning uh, for these two twins, one being chosen, one not, is this. In order that God's purpose of election might continue. He's been electing all along. Now that it might continue, one child is going to be blessed and the other rejected. One's going to be the father of nations and in line and the other is not. Paul's logic there is that there is election. John 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That sounds like cast the seed wildly. That sounds like it's open to all. John six forty four. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Do you see these two truths sitting side by side in scripture? Do you see why people through the ages have had a hard time going? We want to make these mesh perfectly to fit our logical brains of where this all fits. And it's hard. It's back to the brain strain picture. Um, one more. Uh, we'll skip them. Romans 11. 13. This is two chapters after these things Paul's writing. Do you see why Peter at one point says, yeah, some of the stuff Paul writes, it's kind of hard to understand. That's an apostle talking. I'm pretty proud. I'm pretty, I'm pretty in good company when I go, what are you talking about, Paul? Peter had some issues understanding him. Here's where Paul says later on in Romans, two chapters later, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen and amen. That's what he says. This is heady stuff, church. I put these quotes in because I wanted you to have them. I think they're uh, really insightful and helpful. John MacArthur says this God's sovereign election and man's exercise of responsibility in choosing Jesus Christ seem to be opposite and irreconcilable truths. And from our limited human perspective, they are opposite. And irreconcilable. That is why so many earnest, well meaning Christians throughout the history of the Church have floundered trying to reconcile them. Since the problem cannot be resolved by our finite minds, the result is always to compromise one truth in favor of the other, or to weaken both by trying to take a position somewhere between them. We should let the antinom- antimony remain. Believing both truths completely and leaving the harmonizing of them to God. I love that last part. Now, it's a cop out if every time you get challenged in your thinking that you go, well, I just let go and let God. That's a cop out. Don't do that. That's why Christians sometimes bear the label of being weak minded, of being foolish and frivolous with the logic that God gifted them. Do not. Do that. Jesus never called us to check our brain at the door and follow him. One person said that Christian, that that, that being a Christian is a school all in itself, that you'll ever be growing. And if you follow Christ and you try to discern his ways, it's a true statement. Here's some other tensions that the church has decided to um, make sweeping decisions on. Leaving out whole portions of scripture. Here's one hell. I don't really like where hell leads. That doesn't seem very nice. We're going to not teach on hell. Well, then you have to rip out whole chunks of scripture. You have to go against the teachings of Christ. You have to go against a whole bunch of things. Uh, Judgment. I don't really like judgment anymore. That doesn't seem like God. God. I don't really like that Jesus seems to be demanding certain things from me. Didn't he just invite me to follow and kind of add him to my life? No, he makes demands as God has all along in all of scripture. So we can chuck those or we just got done with our demanding series, which says we may not like it, but here they are in plain scripture. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about more than just uh, some of these things that we put on bumper stickers and T-shirts. Don't let your desire for God fit your, uh, don't let your desire that, that God fits your ability uh, to, to reason go beyond the clear teaching of Scripture. In other words, taking whole portions of Scripture and saying, those don't jive with these other things I know about it, so I'm just going to move forward with what, with this part that I like better. What you're doing is you're creating an idol for yourself. What you're doing is you're going to end up on a news article someday and and in the in the vein of David Koresh, you're going to be starting a cult. That's how cults form is. You take and key in on one portion of scripture to the exclusion of others. A friend of mine did some thinking and research on uh, this whole doctrine, and I've never seen it quite this way. And if you were asked to read that, you would be really challenged. So let me read it uh, for you. Oh, my. I don't have it with me. Um, here's what here's what he did. On the left-hand side is the English Standard Version. On the right-hand side is, uh, parenthetically, it's called the Self-Election Version. What it does, it takes Ephesians 1, and it says, if we carry out to the logical conclusion that says that our salvation is based on man's responsibility and man's choosing, man's initiating this covenant relationship that goes counter to all we see in Scripture, here's how it read, starting in verse 3. Now, this ought to make your skin crawl a little bit, that we're changing Scripture. I read this to my dad. I said, Dad, I want this to be I want this to uh, evoke some kind of emotional response. Is it working? He goes, yeah, that's changing scripture. That's kind of the point. Even as we ourselves chose, uh, even as we chose ourselves in him, that we should be holy and blameless before him in free will. We destined ourselves for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of our will to the praise of our glorious free will, with which we blessed Ourselves in the beloved carry it on all the way through this passage in Ephesians one. Do you see how this changes everything about the logic of where Paul is going here? But I don't like the idea that God gets to choose. Um, God's God. And so far as I know, you're not. So at the end of the John MacArthur quote, it says, let's leave the harmonizing of these massive truths to God and not try to help him out. Let's do what the Bible writers did and not try to edit things for God and be a good PR guy for God to help him make him look nicer, less severe, whatever. Let's get in line with the will of God and move forward. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God is a book by J.I. Packer. This is where this really starts to play out. People say, well, then I guess I shouldn't even evangelize. I guess God already knows who's going to be there. Does God tell the church to evangelize people? Yes. That's our mission is to be witnesses for Jesus Christ through the whole world. Get on it. Well, if God stop it. Get on what God's told you to do. Evangelism and the sovereignty of God are places where people start to find the rub and say, "Well, but, but, but. Listen to J.I. Packer. I love this. Those who do this, those who leave off uh, the divine sovereignty of God, are not content to let the true truth, truths live side by side as they do in Scripture, but jump to the conclusion that in order to, to uphold the biblical truth of man's responsibility, they are bound to reject the equally biblical and equally true doctrine of divine sovereignty. And to explain away the great number of texts that teach it. We talked in the very first week about credit. Let's, give, let's leave credit where credit is due. It's God choosing. It's God initiating. And we're getting in line with his will. The only way I understand the things of God is because God's given me a heart and a mind to do so. He's replaced a heart of, of stone with a heart of flesh. Why you, Dave? I really don't know that. The only reason that any of you have a heart uh, to follow God is because it's been gifted to you by God. I want to give you a couple of bottom line ideas. They're in your notes. Rest secure in your adoption. Rest secure if you're in Christ. Don't let the enemy come in and rip apart at doubts and, and tear this apart. Rest secure in it. If you haven't been. Adopted, if you are not found to be in Christ, here's what I would say. Respond to the call of Jesus to repent and believe on him and be saved. Rest in your adoption or respond to it. Maybe you've been awakened here this morning and said, I'm not really sure that I'm in. I'm not really sure that I'm adopted if I'm found in Christ. Respond to it. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Respond to God's call. If you're adopted, it ought to cause a heart of thankfulness and praise. It ought to cause incredible peace that Christ leaves with us, gives to us, because it's not dependent on Ron's ability to uphold the Ten Commandments. It's not dependent on Laura to keep making good choices. All right, you made a good choice in choosing me to follow Jesus, but now you've got to make a whole bunch more or else it's all in question. What kind of terrible parents would Robert and Melissa Klinkenbeard be to their adopted son if that were true? That they held that over them. Not true. Not the way it is. Are you worried about those who aren't chosen? I hope so. I hope you're worried about them. There are three hikers that were in Iran and they were uh, taken captive by the government there. One of them has been released. Not in her own power. All of them were helpless to free themselves. One of them was freed. You know what? She hasn't gone off on a cruise and said, whew, that was quite an ordeal. Wowie, that Iranian uh, prison's tough stuff. But I'm just thankful. I'm going to get together with other people who've been freed from prison. We're going to have studies and we're going to just sit around and talk about our story and give thanks. You know what she's on? She's on a mission to save the other two who were trapped in an Iranian prison. If you're worried about others who haven't been adopted... Get on it. Good. I hope that adopted children have this sense of saying, man, this gift of family is too much. Other kids need this. There are other families that need to be paired up with kids who don't have families. We're asked all the time. We're what you call in the adoption training, uh, online training seminar, a conspicuous family. What that means is this. Um. Our youngest daughter's Chinese. The rest of us aren't. So when we go places, especially when Becky and I are together, they look at Cassie. They look at me. They look at Becky. They look back at Cassie. Then they look at Ethan, who has white hair. And then uh, they say, they say, is she adopted? And uh, and uh, I've already decided this yesterday. We get this kind of wherever we go. But um, we're planning on adopting, as many of you know, from Ethiopia and um, that's going to add another flavor to our uh, family. And um, and when someone asks me that in the future, I'm just going to say yes. Uh, and I'm going to just start walking. Out. We actually yesterday decided as we're sitting at Marianne's ice cream, which country would you like to be adopted from when we play this out? So um, I think Ethan's going to be from England and Bradley from Australia. We'll just I, you know, it's like, which one? Which one are you talking about here? Um, And then people get a confused look. And it's just its kind of fun. Um, One of the the perks that come with that. Um, But here's a great question. Why? Why does God choose? Why did God adopt? Why did God choose to love? Uh, Let me just point out quickly from Scripture this. According to the purpose of his will. We've already talked about this a bunch, but God has a will. And just as he predestined the events leading up to and completing the work that Christ came to this earth to fulfill. He has a purpose and a will, and he's working it. I love this idea. This was big in a book a little, a little bit ago. But the idea of getting in line with where God's already working and just working there, moving in line with that, not fighting against it, not trying to dream up things for God, not trying to dream up programs for God. We've taken a little bit of a slow stance with this church because I know that the the, the nature of a church is that it will ramp up more and more program. And I'm not against program. But it's been so amazing to see that God's raised up from people. It hasn't just been this top down thing where a few people get in a room and say, we're going to be about these programs. But where God's stirring things up, this neighborhood garden idea, this is God moving this along. This is God working this this plan. It's so fun to be a part of it and to get in line with that. And it's so restful, isn't it, as a family to just go, okay, Lord, we're wide open to your will. We don't have to run about trying to do things. That's like your hand just going crazy. You're like, stop. Chill out when I have a project for you. I'm going to send a signal and respond immediately. You see that? And if we're the hand of God and God needs to know the time, we just respond. So what are we doing, church? What are we doing, individual, to just chill out, start to learn to really listen and know what's from the Lord? Some of you tell me these stories, you're like, I started to share with this person I never share with people. It was totally God just prompting me, go talk to that person. I mean, I have com- I'm looking at faces, specific conversations, and I'm getting goosebumps right now because we're on the phone going. Do you see this is just God at work here? There's no way we could have orchestrated this. It just causes praise. According to the purpose of his will, Ephesians 1.11, we already read this, but having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. It's all through this passage. And secondly, to the praise of his glorious grace. You know what choosing unmerited, undeserving people does? It highlights. It's like a trophy of God's grace. People go, Dave, you're a lousy speaker. You shouldn't be leading a church. I go, I know. Isn't that amazing? I mean, isn't that just like God's way? To take me and put me up there and and allow me to, to be this trophy of God's grace? People go, Dave, you're nothing special. You this or that. I go, I know. That's the power of the gospel in this. I mean, that's why I cling to it in every single relationship and conversation I have. Isn't it amazing? It's not about me. But isn't it just like a gracious giving father to let us be the beneficiaries of his will? It is. We were meeting with some uh, couple, uh, a couple, not some couples, a couple that's, that's uh about ready to get married. And they brought up the idea of prearranged marriage. And this one girl said, I was talking to my Indian friend who who is going to get prearranged marriage. And she goes, how can you do that? And she's just like, look at all in her face about it. I love this simple response. The girl says this. Well, why would I have any issue with it? My father loves me. She wasn't trying to be super deep there. But I look at this and I just say, man, in any choice God decides to make. Let it be said of my life that I say it is well with my soul. My father loves me. Why would I not want to leave the choosing in his hands? Is there another person's hands you want that judgment falling to? No. An almighty, all loving, all powerful God. I want to invite Rob and Ben up right now. And um, sometimes human adoption uh, kind of fails to grasp certain elements of, of what's being talked about because we can. Uh, it kind of steers in a different direction. But I want you to listen to this song with Ephesians chapter one in mind right now. And um, sometimes having a human picture to it clears it up.
1: the beat of a heart. When love takes you home, says you belong here. Loneliness ends and a new life begins. Somewhere while you're sleeping Someone else is dreaming to Counting down the days until They hold you close and say The rain that falls into the sea. In a moment, what has been is lost. In what will be, when love takes you in, and everything changes. A miracle starts. With the beat of a heart, and this love will never let you go, there is nothing that could ever cause this love to lose its way. A miracle starts with the beat of a heart. When love takes you home, says you belong here. Loneliness ends and a new Oh
0: I think that as we read Ephesians 1, as we continue on in this study, bear in mind this letter was started off with this gift saying, don't miss this. I think it grieves the heart of God that a gift like this turns into an argument. But maybe you've been to a birthday party before. Uh, I know it's really challenging as a kid. It's really challenging for my kids to see others get good things. And sometimes gifts cause an argument. My challenge to you is this. Um, as, we, as we wrap up this morning, but as we move forward in this, I want to just reiterate, those, those who are adopted by God and they hear a line that says that when you've been given a place to belong, everything changes, your heart just res- resonates with that. And you go, Yes! That's true. This family, this longing, this connection that I've longed for is here now. Some of you have uh, potentially been in church centers for a long time. Maybe you've read certain things and you just go, I don't know that I'm in the family of God. Would you come and talk to me? We're going to have a welcome lunch here in just a couple of minutes. We're going to stick around and enjoy lunch together. Uh, Community group leaders probably should have given you a heads up. It's going to be a fun week. There's just a lot of things that this stirs up and that this draws up. Bring this out with your community group. There's a bunch of questions in your in your handout this week to to wrangle through. Let me wrap up with these three things. And don't let this sound academic, but but being loved by choice God's choice, God's initiation, God's covenant relationship with us, resp- results in a couple of things. One is worship. It's an elevated view of God. You're humble, but you're ecstatic as a sinner that's chosen by God. You'll never let your, uh, your worship become dry if you're thinking this way, if you're understanding these truths. It won't become mechanical. It won't become just another Sunday. Sunday. It'll define your life. Waking up and saying, God, you've chosen me. Be glorified in this. It'll change your prayer life. Not God, give us a safe trip every time. God, give me a comfortable vacation. God, your will be done. God's answered that in very humbling ways for me as an upfront person before. But I want you to know, before I come in front of people, whether it's to sing, play music... Do drama or speak or whatever. And ongoing prayer is, God, your will be done. That has resulted in me missing key lines of a song and just going, uh, uh, uh. Heart rate skyrockets. Palms are now sweating. I'm missing chords. But I, but I literally at the start, I said, God, it's for your will. I don't know why God did that. Someone didn't come up and say, I became a Christian because you're so lousy. I've never had that happen, but... But I'm committing it to the Lord. What if every day you woke up and just said, God, your will be done. Do you see how that's an act of worship? Do you see how different that is, though, than God, my will be done. And you put your stamp of approval on it. Or would you get on board with where I'm heading today and what I'm wanting to accomplish? You're able to see and savor the amazing grace that we sing sing about. When you understand that you're loved surely by God's choice, by the mercy of God. It also results in Sanctification. God's will for every believer is not just heaven later, which is an unalterable reality, but also holiness now. Look at uh, 1 Peter 1.15. But as he who called you, who called you? He did. As he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. You get this backwards. You're not called by God and you just try to be holy to be one. It, it gets all messed up. That's what Jesus railed against. He saved his harshest criticism for that. Uh, we're going to adopt from Ethiopia. We don't plan to bring the child home. Say, hey, here's your inheritance. You're in America now. Good luck with that. What we do is we rope a child in. We say, you're a Carlson now. Here's what that means. We're going to walk with you every step of the way. We're not going to give you more than you can handle, but you're going to be in tears sometimes because we're training you up and growing you up. Does this sound familiar, Christian? Has God ever left you? No. Does it feel like it sometimes? Yes. Yes. Should that cause you to cry out to God in dependence? Absolutely. It's comforting to know that God isn't done with us. Romans 8, 29, for those whom He foreknew, there's the language again, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's not done with you. God didn't just save you and say, now just be on pause until heaven one day. God's got a purpose for you right now. That ought to be comforting and challenging. Uh, end part of chapter eight says this. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, it's the third thing it ought to cause is assurance. It ought to cause an unshakable confidence. Not in yourself. But in God who called you. Not in your goodness. But in Christ's goodness. That was given to you. Unshakable confidence. Unshakeable assurance. And those are the gifts God really wants from us. Band, come on up. I leave you with these three statements. Let your worship never be lacking. Know that you are never alone. And rest assured that God really is for you. Great lyric in a song I heard yesterday. That God really loves us after all. That after all of our human wandering and all the thoughts we had going on, at the end of the day, God really does love us after all. God really did design us to be coming into subjection to His glory and His worship and His plan. And we've been fighting it all along because we're born rebels. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to dismiss. Father, thank You for the gift of adoption. I thank You, Lord, that Your heart is to set the lonely in families. Your heart is to spare us from our deserved punishment to come for our rebellion, for our treason against your kingdom. God, I pray that these truths that are driving into our hearts and brains would affect our prayer life. God, that they would affect our worship, that you would grow us up in our Bible study. That, Lord, as we speak as a witness for You, on behalf of You, and we seek, Lord, to be ones who You would allow people to be reconciled to Yourself through ministry that we have. It boggles our mind. But, God, You've adopted us. You've loved us by choice. This morning, we affirm collectively that we don't deserve it, but we accept it. We receive it. And we rest assured in that choice. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? We're going to close a song that um, speaks of some of this.